Father, use the words that I speak for your glory. Amen. Let me start today by applauding the members of this congregation for truly exemplifying the qualities of living in the kingdom of God during this politically polarizing past 10 days in Arizona. As I mentioned Thursday in our e-news, I am proud of each of you and your commitment to seek ways to build up our greater community to committing to care for the children in our midst, and to abiding in love by being wise and trying to listen carefully to the things that are truly good being said from both sides of the dispute. The people of Trinity practiced building up one another in love, and our readings from the past few weeks are literally being put to the test— We are being loving because we know that God has loved us first and that God's love is unlimited and never ends. So thank you for your hard work. Thank you for practicing love and thank you for being you. But now it's time to regroup as a state as we get back to the task of reuniting as people committed to the well-being of students, of teachers, of administrators, and yes, even members of our government. We shift directions today and begin asking the real questions of discernment. What is our purpose? Who is God calling us to be? Our primary identity as the people of God centers around the presence and the person of Jesus. Jesus, the one who called the disciples and told them, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus, whom in the last days of his ministry pleads for his followers to always link together and abide in love. Jesus, the one who shows us how to lead others as servants of others. We have much to learn We have a mission to fulfill. We have a purpose to live into. The school year, it's May, the school year is now winding pretty much to a close. And any of our friends who are college students or professors or teachers or administrators know that graduations are now starting to happen or final papers have been submitted. People who are graduating are living in this kind of liminal state between finishing school, and receiving their diploma for a job well done. But that in and of itself doesn't fully determine a purpose for anybody. Finding our calling is hard work. Seeking out an identity that truly allows us to live into ourselves and to know ourselves as much as we can fully be known to ourselves requires the kind of work that isn't easy. It is exciting, but it isn't easy. And sometimes things get far more complicated than you think. Okay, we've had all this talk recently about education, and so can Considering the escalated debate about education, for some reason, I went back in all my memories and started listing out all of the books that I had to read and required reading in school. 
And I, I, I mean, I went back probably to the fifth grade or so, thinking through what was I, what was I supposed to, or what was I made to read at that time? And I think I did more of this exercise to ask the question, why did I have to read? More so than what was it that I read? But one book that I remember very well was a book that I read in the eighth grade called The Chosen by Chaim Potok. Some of you might have read it. In the book, it's a story about these two young men whose lives develop into this very deep friendship, even though their life circumstances might have positioned them in life as bitter enemies. Okay, so as you read the book, you learn that one character is the son of a prominent Orthodox rabbi, and the other son is, the other character is a son of a professor. And where this gets confusing is that the son of the rabbi is supposed to become a rabbi in his, fa- in his father's footsteps, but he actually wants to become a professor or a psychologist. And the boy who's the son of the professor has been tapped by his father to be a mathematician, but he actually wants to be a rabbi. And at one point in the book, the rabbi father gets in a fight with the professor father over the debate in the 1940s of whether religious Jews should back the creation of the nation state of Israel or not, because there was a fierce debate whether the Messiah's return was actually expected or that people were expected to live in a messianic age. Are you confused? In the eighth grade, I certainly was. Oy vey. Anyway, my point is that the entire context of this book points to how these boys could have been shaped by their upbringing to follow exactly what their fathers wanted them to do. But their purpose, their vocation, their calling in life was to be chosen for a different purpose. All of the character's education point, all of one character's education pointed him to being a rabbi and the other one the other character towards being a mathematician, but neither were really chosen for those purposes in life. Our faith does the same thing for us as well. So many people in modern Christianity, especially right now, want to set up fixed and firm boundaries that we must make our choice. And if we choose incorrectly, we have disappointed God. We become disgraced, outcast, flung into outer darkness. So many times when I go back and listen to sermons, maybe on TV or watch, sometimes I watch sermons on YouTube about different preachers around the country, and the rhetoric at some point always shifts to this point where it's absolutely up to you and to your intellect to make a choice. And if you choose wrong, you lose. But is this really the message of Jesus? Is it? If we have this lens, we've created a framework of faith that might need some renegotiating. Jesus chooses us. We are the chosen, and we are called in our evangelism, or the way we share our faith, to allow people to find the space that they can see how they, too, are chosen. 
even when we are deeply concerned about a family member or a friend or a coworker whose life seems to be headed in completely the wrong direction, our job is to allow the space for Jesus to choose all of us, to allow the space for God to act. Way back in the 4th century, St. Monica got this right. She was the mother of St. Augustine. And she is quoted as saying, Nothing is far from God, and I have no fear that he will not know where to find me. God knows where we are. Jesus does the choosing. Our job is to open up and to let people be chosen. When I think of all the possibilities of what this could maybe look like in our world, the example that kept coming up to me over and over is kind of an old example, about 300 years old. It's it's all about a life of a man named John Newton. If you don't know who he is, you will in a minute. John grew up in London. He was the son of a shipmaster, and he led a privileged life But he had this kind of rather tumultuous existence as a young man, being drafted into the British Royal Navy. He hated it so much that he deserted at one point and he got punished, so he went back to the Navy again. But then when he got out, he took up work as the captain of various slave trading ships. And it was on one such voyage coming back to England, it was somewhere off the coast of Ireland, that his ship crashed on a reef and it started filling up with water. Everybody was terrified. Newton was so convinced that he was going to die, he cried out to God for help. And as the story goes, somehow the ocean current shifted or the boat moved in some way and the cargo and the hold went to the other side where the boat was taking on water and it sealed the leaks enough to where the boat was able to somehow safely get back to shore. Later in life, Newton says this is where he began to discover his Christian faith. But at this point, his faith was very new. Very, very new. And he joined part of a movement of popular Christianity at the time that was all about using your mind and making right choices. Because, when we know this because he did a lot of writing about his faith. But believe it or not, even though he has this conversion experience, he still served as the captain of slave ships. And he served in that capacity for almost 20 more years. But around that point in the early 1860s, he, excuse me, 1760s, he has this big change of heart. He decides to become a priest. A full 34 years after his initial involvement in the slave trade, John's life turned into a complete, turned a completely different direction. And he began to publicly repent of his slave trader life, and he began to condemn the slave trade and take that issue on as his primary ministry. He was quoted in pamphlets as saying that he made a confession which comes too late. It will always be the subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. And it was also around the same time that he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. 
But John Newton didn't just wash away his sins in the grace of Jesus Christ and then live in some idyllic landscape in rural England for the rest of his life. No, he didn't do that. He started working even more. He dove into the public debates about slavery, sometimes holding very unpopular opinions at his time. And he decided he would go and meet with every single member of the British Parliament that would talk to him. He saw it as his mission, that if God had indeed chosen him to be one of God's beloved, then the rest of his life's work would be to see that the freedom he found in Christ's love wasn't going to just be for the privileged. It would be for everyone, a real freedom, a lasting freedom for all people. And through his efforts of coaching young representatives in Parliament like William Wilberforce, John Newton's work eventually led to the British government banning the slave trade in 1807. And that same year, just a few months later, John Newton died. Jesus chooses us. Whether you think you have your life figured out or you find that your life today is more of a mess than it's ever been, or something about our world is so confusing and the resolutions are so far away into the distant future, Jesus chooses you, and the life in Christ's church is shaped to give you freedom to live into this reality of being chosen, being chosen to abide in love and to let God's love permeate every aspect of your life and to help others live into the reality that they have been chosen to. Why else does our mission statement here at Trinity say we are welcoming all to be transformed in Christ through worship, fellowship, and service? When we are actively welcoming all people, we're giving them the ability to be fully participatory in the kingdom of God, where they can truly be themselves, where they can realize how much our loving God chooses us. We saw how the breath of the Holy Spirit gave us the space and the clarity this past week to respond to a statewide crisis of taking care of kids. You've seen how the Trinity community purposely seeks out and makes a bold attempt to embrace everyone, so that our gatherings on Sunday can look a whole lot more like the community that is beyond these four walls. This is exciting ministry. You are part of this. Jesus is making space for us right here in the holy realm of Trinity Cathedral for us to examine our past, to dream about the future, to dream about the future and to expect that Jesus will give us the space to fully develop in ways that bring forth joy, that bring forth determination, that bring forth an abundant, unlimited supply of God's blessing. How will you live into your calling? Jesus chooses us.